Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. I am a competitive swimmer. I have been since I was six years old for over half of my life. I'm one with the water, I guess you could say. The thing about swimming is that when you're working out really hard and burning tons of calories, you have even less oxygen. So most of the time when I'm putting in my A game at practice, I feel like I'm drowning. (laughs) Except for on Tuesdays. Tuesdays are sprint days, and I'm a sprinter, so it's like the perfect workout. We do 24 swims, and you have a time that you have to make for each swim. If you miss your time, you have to make up the swim at the end of practice. This is my best set of the week. I rarely miss my swims. I'm consistently making my times, and most of all, I'm having a great time. Usually, on our team, when someone is really thriving during a workout, they shout out encouragements to the rest of the team. Let's go, ladies, one more. You can do it, go strong. Since Tuesdays are the days that I thrive, I'm the team cheerleader, and it's great. I'm doing well, I'm encouraging my teammate. Kind of the dream workout situation. And that's how it usually is, the perfect workout, except when it's not. A couple months ago, I'd been sick all week, but I went to practice on Tuesday. I was pumped to swim my favorite set of the week. Throughout the practice, I kept missing my time during the swims. By the end, I had 22 out of the 24 swims to make up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, I would love to tell you that I pushed through and I made up my swims with pure joy and a huge smile on my face, but that's not really how it went down. There were some tears, a couple of I hate swimming, I want to go home. I hated struggling at something I knew I was good at. My teammates, however, stepped in with the same words of encouragement I was normally shouting out on Tuesdays. Go, Satya, you've got it. One more to go. Now, you'd think that their encouragement would immediately lift me up and give me the push I needed to continue the workout. But instead, I just felt mad and even more disappointed in myself. I felt like it was my job to be encouraging the team. It was my job to be swimming well and killing the set and being a role model. I wasn't supposed to be struggling or crying, not on Tuesdays. Looking back now, I really should not have been disappointed in myself. I had been sick for a week. I was recovering. Of course I was not going to be swimming my absolute fastest. And if someone else had been in my situation, I know I would have said, you're still recovering, you'll do better next week, it's okay. I think sometimes we're harder on ourselves than we would be on other people. Sometimes when you're struggling with something, emotions overtake reason. I can imagine most of you have been in a situation where you've struggled with something. Kind of sucks. <laughs> as hard as that Tuesday practice was for me, I think it helped to teach me how to accept help. Accepting help isn't always as easy as you want it to be, especially if you're a super independent person like me. I still have bad swim practices, but over the last couple of months, I've gotten better at accepting my teammates' words of encouragement. I think that my experience on the team is really similar to being a member of any community. It's not always easy the first time you struggle and have to be lifted up. 
It takes practice to learn how to have enough compassion for yourself to accept others' words of encouragement. This entire process of figuring out how to accept help reminds me of the rainbow path that I learned in first grade and know by heart. Specifically, it reminds me of green, grow in spirit and mind. The process of learning how to accept help within a community is hard, especially if you're normally that community's leader. So I invite all of you to remember the rainbow path when you're faced with hard learning experiences like mine. We're all growing in spirit and mind together. Come, let us worship. So, our reading this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to uproot. A time to kill, a time to heal a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. It's so good to be here on this ordinary, extraordinary Sunday, to be reminded that every day is this ordinary, extraordinary day, these days when it's possible to feel inspired and renewed and recommitted, this chance to be together in community where we can hold one another up when we need it. And today is gorgeous already. Even with the early wake-up this morning, I couldn't help but feel the air, the 60 degrees that's coming today, this opportunity to soak it in, to let the sun in after all this time of cold and gray. And I don't know about you, but for me, watching where I walk with every step. So I'm thinking about this afternoon, thinking about, and maybe you are too already, about maybe some time by the lake, Maybe grocery shopping, maybe a book, maybe a nap. So I have to say, napping has really never been my thing, but it's coming into my life. You see, I had this surgery recently, and while I'm really grateful to be healthy and not dealing with any long-term complications or health issues, it turns out that when you have surgery, it takes time to heal. It turns out that this knitting yourself back together from the inside takes energy. 
So I've started napping over the last few weeks. See, I start the day out strong, but by the time it gets to noon or one, I'm tired. And I've been learning if I can lay down for just 15 minutes even, I can get up again and feel whole and restored. So I'm learning about napping from my body. But there's been another important source in my life that's teaching me how to slow down and rest too. And it's coming from a pretty counterintuitive source, actually. It's coming from my kids. You see, every morning when my daughter wakes up for school, she comes down the stairs and she declares that it is snuggle time. Snuggle time is very serious. It sounds simple and straightforward, but it's actually really specific. And God be with you if you try to vary it by a moment. So it goes like this. She comes down the stairs at 6.06 a.m. And you are to be seated in the corner of the couch by the window. You're to have a blanket. You are to let her snuggle in with you, cover her with the blanket, and then lean in tightly together until exactly 6.20. At 6.20, you get up and begin your day. And this is how it goes. And I'm a little bit embarrassed to say that when she started this, I had a hard time with it. Morning is when I rush around. I make lunches, I coordinate the carpool, I check to make sure everybody's on schedule. I'm running around. But thankfully, after a few days of her requesting this, it dawned on me. Am I ever going to really look back and think, God, I wish I rushed around more? <laughs> Probably not. She's nine. It's going to change. Pretty soon, she's not going to want to snuggle on the couch with me. What am I going to do? So I've been learning to slow down, listening to her, listening to my body. And I've been telling some, some of my friends about this, that I've been trying to learn how to slow down and take good care of myself and pay attention. And they turned me on to something called the nap ministry. Anybody heard about this? The nap ministry? Yes. OK, check this out. It is a website you can follow on Instagram. It's actually really profound. So here are the things that you might find if you follow them. Quotes like this come up pretty much every day. You are more than your productivity. You don't have to earn rest. Rest is a quiet resistance that can save us. And then they have some longer quotes that they offer up as something that you could use as an affirmation because it takes time to deprogram yourself from culture. So these longer affirmations might be something like this. I do not strive to be perfect. It sounds boring and anxiety producing. I am flawed. I am figuring it all out. I do not want to do it all. I take my time. Here's my least favorite. I enjoy asking for help. <laughs> I enjoy napping on the couch. Resting keeps me grounded. You can see I need to say these over and over. Then here's one more for us. Never grinding, never aligning ourselves with toxic systems. We will never willingly participate in our own demise. This culture wants us exhausted and disconnected. We want extreme pleasure and connection. We will rest. It's like a rest manifesto. I'm loving it. So all of these words come from the self-proclaimed nap bishop, Trisha Hersey. She is a black poet, performance artist, and I would say activist. 
And she founded this NAP ministry as an interactive project of hope and healing. Inspiration came for her from this experience. She was studying, doing some research, she said, and she had immersed herself in slave narratives. She became obsessed, as she puts it, with finding out the smallest details of plantation life. What time did they wake up, she wondered. Where did they sleep? How far were the fields from the sleeping quarters? Did they get a lunch break? What time did the work begin? When did the work end? She discovered that most enslaved Africans on cotton plantations worked 20 hours a day. She continued to ask, how many pounds of cotton did they have to pick every day? How hot would the temperature rise during the summer months? How many died from heat stroke? Did they ever nap? She says that her obsession for these details was a way for her to connect with her ancestors. And here are her words. She says, I would go to bed dreaming of them. One night while sleeping, I felt like my body was sinking into the bed. I felt like I was floating. I imagined that if I could connect with them in the spiritual realm, I could rest for all the centuries they couldn't. I was desperate to provide a form of reparations for them. I'll never forget the dream space that was stolen from them. So this is how the NAP ministry was founded. And Hersey says that as she has developed the project, she just keeps learning how sleep-deprived our nation really is. She says, we are depressed and sick and anxious and disconnected, yet we continue to freely give our bodies and our minds over to the grind of capitalism. We've tied our entire worth as human beings into how much we can produce financially. We are killing ourselves by openly being bamboozled by a society that tells us napping is lazy and unproductive. I want you to resist, she says. I want you to free yourself. I want you to nap. I want you to dream. There's healing waiting for you. There's a vision space that is waiting for you to enter it via rest. This is holy work, she says. Join me. I've been digging into her writing. It's brilliant and beautiful. And I'm starting to understand that rest is more than just a form of self-care, but a form of soul care, as she says. Rest as a form of resistance, a tangible way to push back against the internalized impact of capitalism and white supremacy culture that tells me that I am only good if I produce something, that efficiency is everything, that somehow the money I make will protect me from the realities of life. Money can soften the blow of some things, sure, but nothing can actually remove us from the reality that we are human beings living in human bodies. This reality of being human, of living knowing that we will get sick at some point and die, this is a question that is at the center of many religious faiths and texts. It was the tension that was on the mind of the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes in the reading that we heard this morning. The book of Ecclesiastes is a foundational wisdom text for both Jews and Christians. And I don't know if you've ever read it all the way through, but just in case it's not on the top of your mind this morning, let me give you a summary of the first few chapters as written by the scholars. This is for real. Everything is meaningless, chapter one. Wisdom is meaningless, chapter two. Pleasures are meaningless, riches are meaningless, toil is meaningless, advancement is meaningless, starting to sound like February in Minnesota. We live in a world where the... It's just like, it's meaningless, it's meaningless, it's meaningless, is essentially the book, 
rich or poor, wise or foolish, oppressed or oppressor, we will all die. So what is there to do? That's the question that is presented as our reading comes. And this is the answer from the author in this book of wisdom. Yes, we are going to get sick and die. Yes, things are hard. And there is a time for everything. There is time for everything. There's a season for everything. There's a time when we'll be born, when new life will happen. There'll be a time for illness and death. There'll be a time for laughter and for tears, for mourning and dancing, sometimes in the same day. A time to sleep and be awake, a time to rest and a time to work. There's a time to give, a time to receive, a time to grow. All we can do, the author of the book is telling us, is to live in this time that is right before us because in just another moment, it's going to change and turn and turn again and turn again even when the times are hard. Even when they are so hard, we feel like we can't bear it. It will turn and turn and turn again. I was sitting with this reading this week and remembering that whenever there are new folks that come in to church and I get to lead the orientation sessions or the pathway to membership classes, this the same thing happens almost all the time. People come in and they're super excited and they want to lead a class or lead an effort or do this or do that. And I am so excited that they have found this place that means so much and that really does transform lives. And I often find myself saying, hold on, slow down. I'm so glad you're here and that you have so much to give. And what would it be like to just receive for a little while? What would it be like to come to church to attend a small group, to come play games with Reverend Karen, to hang out at the religious education sleepover, to come to the gathering in gratitude and just let yourself be fed for a little bit first. You don't have to earn your place here. You are accepted, whole, holy, and worthy just as you are. You don't have to prove anything. Come practice being fed. Come practice receiving. It's hard for so many of us. My friend Nancy says that church is a place where we take turns, a place where we tap in and out. She uses this image as if we're tag team wrestlers. I kind of love it. Sometimes it's our time to hold each other up and to fight the fight and to help, and sometimes it's time for us to tap out and let somebody else take a turn while we rest and get renewed and receive what we need. But this tapping in and out, this moving back and forth between giving and receiving and back again is countercultural. So much of the time we feel we are only worthy if we are giving, if we are the ones in control, if we're the ones that are offering. But really the wisdom comes always from the cycle, back and forth and back and forth, give, receive, give, receive, growing through the whole process. Church is one of the places I see that happen most often. I think about Phil Johnson, as Ruth said, who led our usher team for 30 years creating a safe and welcoming place for all of us for generations, really. And then when his body was having its struggles as it does with ALS, he allowed care in, care for him, care for his family. We'll celebrate his life. He'll keep teaching us through his legacy as we learn even more about him. Giving, receiving, giving, receiving, back and forth, taking turns. This is the power of community. This is what it means to be in church, and this is where we practice. 
I was thinking about this recently because I had this experience in the first few days after my surgery where I needed to get up and walk, but I couldn't do that by myself. It wasn't safe for me to be out in the ice on my own, and I needed somebody with me when I wanted, wanted to go for those walks, and I totally hated asking for help with this. Luckily, I have friends who know me and know my resistance and that I would probably do it by myself if they didn't show up, so they kept checking in on me. And one afternoon, one of my friends stopped by to take me out for one of these short, slow, intentional walks. We were out there in the sun, and they said to me, do you remember the day you saved my life? And I, I didn't, so I paused. <laughs> We'd been friends for a while, and I just couldn't remember anything quite that dramatic happening in our relationship. And then she reminded me, she said, it was the day after my surgery, and I couldn't get up from my chair, and I called you because I needed somebody to walk the kids to the bus stop, and you showed up and did that. And then I remembered, yeah, absolutely I did that. But it was not a big experience for me just because it was so easy. It was something I could so easily give, and I was so grateful that she had asked. It took almost nothing for me to give this simple thing. But in this interaction, when we were walking and talking, I knew then how much it took for her to ask for that help and how receiving things can sometimes feel as big as having your life saved, even when for the giver it's something small. So I keep thinking about this, about how when we have something to give, it can be so easy to share it, to follow this natural impulse that we have inside of us that Reverend Karen talked about last week, that when we know we can do something that matters, it is easy, it's joyful to be giving. And I've been wondering, can we learn how to feel this joy when we are receiving, too? Is that possible, to feel full, to feel grateful when we are receiving? And what would we do to practice that? So my suggestion is that we start practicing with napping. I wonder, this is a gift we can give ourselves and receive, all in the privacy of whatever space we can find. And if you're really bad at it, no one will know because you're giving it to yourself so you can practice receiving. And if you're already a champion napper, that's awesome. You can teach the rest of us and maybe you can pick some other thing that's even more challenging for you to receive. Now, I know that history tells us that rest is much more possible for people of privilege and certainly that is the position I speak from. But history also tells us that rest might be even more important maybe even more of what has been stolen from people of color and enslaved people and people living on the margins. A 2015 study found that compared to white participants, black participants were five times more likely to sleep less than six hours a night. And we know that poor sleep has been associated with diabetes and heart disease and so many other conditions that affect black Americans at higher rates. Lack of rest hurts us physically, but it also hurts us spiritually. As the Knapp Bishop reminds us, there is a dream space that is stolen from us, the space of healing and restoration that allows us to imagine what might be possible beyond this day. Without dreams, beloved community, a better life isn't possible. And when you look at it this way, reclaiming our rest is absolutely an act of resistance. And I don't know how it is for you, but for me, rest does not come naturally. Maybe it's because there's so much work to be done and I feel like I'm the one to do it. 
Maybe it's because I've always had at least one side hustle, some other job that helps me cover my bases to earn a little more here or there to pay back my student loans or make ends meet. Maybe it's because some of my past experiences keep me on guard, protecting against future harm. Maybe it's the culture of capitalism that says my worth is only measured by my productivity. Maybe it's the characteristics of white supremacy culture that value efficiency over everything else. Maybe it's because my family is full of fairly recent immigrants, many of whom arrived in America with a dream and not much more. Maybe it's patriarchy, which has demanded that I work twice as hard and accomplish twice as much to get a fraction of the recognition of some of my male peers. Maybe, too, it's my fear that if I rest, if I slow down and let all of this catch up to me, I will never get up again. Maybe it is all of this for me and more, and maybe it is for you too. So many things keep us from resting, from receiving the care and connection and quiet that have the power to heal us. So try a nap or try something else. If that is really not possible, here's my simple suggestion. It goes like this. Take a deep breath. Full on the inhale, slow on the exhale. Let's try it. Deep breath. Super slow exhale. Bring an image to mind that brings you comfort or softens your heart. Maybe it's holding an infant, an animal. Maybe it's remembering being held. Maybe it's sun on your face or a memory of a time someone reached out to hold your hand when you needed it. Deep breath, full on the inhale, super slow on the exhale. This little bit of rest you can repeat as needed all day, every day. Let it in, you are already loved already whole and holy and worthy. This is the promise and the practice of our faith as universalists. Let it in. Let the rest heal you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.